Hello and welcome to Money Life. This is Sucheta Dilal. This week, I'm going to talk about the new Supreme Court Committee set up on 2nd March to investigate financial irregularities that arose out of a research report by Hindenburg Research of the US. This report was released on 24th Jan. And as most of you know, it caused turmoil in the market. There was a huge outcry. Politicians asked questions. People rushed to the Supreme Court as they usually do. And the Supreme Court reacted to a batch of petitions by saying, we are setting up a committee. I'm calling this a new experiment in investigating financial irregularities in the country. Now, why do I call it a new experiment? Because of a series of things that the Supreme Court has done differently from the past many years. Some of you may have seen my earlier blog where I talked about what happened in 1958 with the Haridas Mundra scandal, the JPC one after Harshad Mehta, the JPC-2 in 2000-2001 after the Ketan Parikh scam. Well, Ketan Parikh surfaces again in the allegations in the Hindenburg report. But this time, the Supreme Court has reacted by saying they're doing things differently and the noise about the Joint Parliamentary Committee also has faded away. So let's go back to what really happened for those of you who haven't followed. The report had accused Gautam Adani, who was then the third richest man in the world, of pulling off the largest con in corporate history. Is this true or not? Was all explained, their allegations, in a report which they said they researched for two whole years. Within days, the Adani group responded with a 413-page rejoinder, refuting every one of the allegations. But apparently, the market wasn't convinced because the share prices kept dropping continuously. Now, as I'm recording this blog, the prices have gone up a little bit, but still a huge drop from where they were on 24 Jan when the Hindenburg report became public. The Supreme Court has decided that it needs to protect Indian investors against the volatility of the kind that has been witnessed in the recent past. What it means is post the report. Because some people wanted action and investigation against Hindenburg itself. It doesn't matter that it's a foreign company or that short selling is quite legitimate and it was openly declared in the report. But be that as it may, now the Supreme Court wants an expert committee to assess the extent regulatory framework and make recommendations to strengthen it. But the Supreme Court hasn't stopped at that. It's not one committee headed by a former judge of the Supreme Court. There are in fact two. And people seem to forget that the Securities and Exchange Board of India, our market regulator, is going to conduct a concurrent investigation which also has to be delivered in two months as the expert committee reports, the same two months. And it is not going to go all over the place in a fishing expedition. The Supreme Court has clearly framed what SEBI has to do in that report. Now, before discussing this experiment, let's make note of one or two things. One, that no country anywhere in the world which has capital markets has managed to institute a regulatory framework which will provide blanket protection to investors from market volatility. Market, by their very nature, go up and down. High risk and volatility are not only integral to traded products, but when we talk about markets promising high returns, there is no such guarantee and you could even lose your shirt. Now, now market volatility is not always triggered by short sellers reports. In fact, more often than not, it's policy actions of the government, its regulators, monetary authorities, 
Sometimes it can be rogue algorithms, technology failure. In fact, short sellers putting out reports and saying something is overpriced is rather rare, but not unusual or unique as has happened in this case. This can only happen when there is a relentless run up in prices, which are not matched by fundamentals. So coming back to what the Supreme Court has said, two separate investigations, first by a court-constituted expert committee headed by Justice A.M. Sapre, the former Supreme Court judge. To my mind, the very composition and remit of this committee is an experiment because most members have deep links with the corporate world and multiple relationships across the corporate world. And this is going to be significant, whether they're lawyers, they're directors, they've headed banks. These actions and relationships in their career, according to me, does in. But we'll keep that aside for the moment. Let's look at the powers and rabbit of this committee. It is supposed to primarily evaluate and suggest ways for SEBI to strengthen its regulatory mechanism to protect investors from market volatility. As we have said, this is why the Supreme Court responded. But the key part here is that it's also asked to investigate whether there's been regulatory failure in dealing with the alleged contraventions of the law pertaining to securities market in relation to the Adani Group or other companies. That means this committee is tasked with investigation and it will also investigate the regulator because it's supposed to look at regulatory failure. It's the first time this has ever happened where an outside committee will investigate the regulator. Usually it's the CBI, CVC, and what have you. In addition, SEBI has been asked to apprise the expert committee of actions that it's taken on the directions of the court and provide all the information it needs. This makes the market regulator, in fact, subservient to the committee. Since, expert, since the expert committee comprises directors of private companies and their lawyers, it remains to be seen what kind of precedence this is going to set in the long run and how it will impact the regulatory dynamic in future. Again, keep it aside. The Supreme Court, interestingly enough, has not empowered this committee to call for information or seek testimony from SEBI or stock exchange officials or market participants. This is very important because when there is a joint parliamentary committee or a judicial commission of sorts, they can send you a summons or subpoena as the US Senate would call it. And you have to turn up and testify or give evidence or information. I don't know what are the powers of this committee, but what the Supreme Court has said is that the committee is at liberty to seek recourse to external ex experts. Now, who can these experts be? Experts can possibly be lawyers, forensic auditors, whatever. It is also said that government agencies connected with financial regulation, fiscal agencies, and law enforcement agencies shall cooperate with the committee. I don't know how this is going to work out also. As an experiment, it will be interesting to watch. Will they cooperate? Will they have to be summoned? If they are summoned, what will they say? And if they don't come, what happens? At what level will they participate? All very interesting. We are going to watch it. Remember, like I said, the Joint Parliamentary Committee investigating the Ketan Parikh scam. Now, let's talk about both, and I've talked about this in an earlier blog. When the first JPC was set up, 
Mr. Janki Raman was the deputy governor of the Reserve Bank of India. A multidisciplinary committee was set up under his leadership. It had the income tax, CBI, enforcement, all the regulatory agencies. And they came up with a series of very detailed investigations, which helped the first JPC come up with a fantastic report. The second JPC, interestingly, did not even ask for any such committee to be set up. I mean, after all, they are parliamentarians. They could well have asked the government, set up such a committee. We need their help. They didn't ask for it. But when the committee report was being written, they lamented about this. And I'm quoting from the report. This JPC says it did not have the benefit of a report on the lines of the Janki Raman Committee report, which was made available to the previous JPC on the scam in securities and banking transactions. Reliable evidence was difficult to find and took too much time to cull, which means they're as good as admitting that we are not really in a position to do the investigation that is required. This time around, since experts can be called by this committee, they may bring in like I said, law firms and forensic auditors. This is not unique again. This happened repeatedly in the National Stock Exchange co-location scam. There it was SEBI that did it. Instead of doing the investigation itself with all its powers, and please note, I'm going to come to all its powers later. SEBI repeatedly asked the exchange to investigate itself. There were at least six or seven different external agencies multiple KPMG, Grant Thornton, and others who were doing forensic audits instead of SEBI doing it. This time, these agencies could potentially be in a position to question SEBI as well. Again, like I said, an experiment and unique. Now let's look at SEBI's role. In its submission to the Supreme Court, SEBI has made stall claims. Obviously, at that time, it did not want an expert committee. So SEBI claimed that it strongly and adequately empowered to put in place regulatory frameworks for effecting stable operations and development of the securities market, including investor protection. It also told the court that it is already inquiring into both the allegations made in the Hindenburg report, as well as market activity immediately preceding and post-publication of the report to check for violations of various regulations. No details were provided since the matter is in early stages of examination. Obviously, the Supreme Court wasn't convinced, neither are we. We are not interested in SEBI looking at immediately preceding and post-Hindenburg. It has to go back three years. And we, in fact, are going to ask as we go along, what was it doing? So, like I said, the Supreme Court wasn't convinced. It has then issued specific directions to SEBI on what it should do. So three specific things. One, investigate whether there was any violation of Rule 19A of the Securities of Contract Regulation Act. What does this prescribe? How much of minimum public shareholding should be there and whether these group of companies had maintained it. The allegation was that technically they had, but the institutions that held what are called or classified as public shareholding was not really public. Second, whether there was a failure to disclose related party transactions. And third, if there was a manipulation of stock prices and contravention of existing laws. Now, like I said, Supreme Court has the right to be skeptical because of SEBI saying it's strongly and adequately empowered. On paper, yes. But it uses these powers mainly to just keep creating new reporting requirements, more red tape, and it has been repeatedly lambasted 
for poor investigation and weak orders. Most recently, again, I've done a blog on this. Most recently, the Securities Appellate Tribunal, very embarrassingly, pointed to inconsistencies in its orders and has all but thrown out a major order against the NAC Colo scam, where the fine imposed by SEBI was slashed from over a thousand crore with interest to just about a hundred crore. Most, most embarrassing. Okay. And it says we are so empowered. In fact, look at some of the things that SEBI says. As I keep pointing out, there's a yawning gap between the claimed powers and prowess. And it's all documented in its annual reports. I looked at just the last three years and what really happens on the ground. You, if you invest in the market, are just as capable of seeing this dichotomy. So under the head market surveillance in its FY2122 report, SEBI says, it has deeply integrated technology into its surveillance functions. It has been able to unearth complex modus operandi with adoption of better technology and data analytics. In 2021 annual reports, SEBI claimed that it uses various innovative techniques such as pattern recognition and data analytics to, to process the vast amount of data. The data is vast, 550 crore trade messages are generated every day, okay? But did the Adani stocks figure in all these patterns and data? No mention. Now, let's look at the 21-22 annual report. There's a box which is titled Data Detectives. Sounds very good, right? What's this data detects? It makes some serious boasts about technology for surveillance, including artificial intelligence and machine learning, which allows it robust, agile, and scalable capabilities. Did it find the Adani stocks going up over the last three years? No mention. Instead, it says, while it might be a bit of an overstatement, very modestly, it might not be entirely inappropriate to say that there are very few problems that technology cannot solve. Technology works in minutes and seconds, and it's three years that the Adani Group stock prices are going up. So wouldn't we want answers in the last three annual reports with all this machine learning? But SEBI doesn't stop here. SEBI has something else. It's called a data lake. Yes, it's in its annual reports. I'm not making it up. This has characteristics such as visualization, time series, slash machine learning, analytical skills, ability to seek and search both structured, unstructured, semi-structured data, and self-service business intelligence capabilities in memory processing of data, et cetera. Did it find a dunny? In fact, if you look at all these posts, doesn't even need two months. It can possibly give the Supreme Court what it wants in two weeks or one week. Let's come to what it says next. On the issue of promoter risk due to pledging of shares, you know, the floating stock and everything else is part of this. SEBI claims to be on top of this also. Its annual report says how it decided that exchanges will not look only at promoters pledging their shares, but it will look at the whole aspect of encumbrance. What does this mean? Because this will include lien on shares, negative lien on shares, and is much wider than a simply tracking pledging of shares by the promoters, pledging of their own holdings. It's important to note that these claims make it all the more important for SEBI to tell us 
why it missed the big elephant in the room, namely the extraordinary run-up in Adani Group shares leading to sky-high valuations. Remember, no short seller can cause a fall in prices unless they are overvalued. Why were any of these companies not a part of the 72 investigations into price and volume manipulation that it says it completed in 21-22, 82 that were completed in 2021? What were the machines and the data and the analytics and visualization telling them over the last three years? Why did we need a US-based short seller to create this dhamaka in the market for politicians to wake up, for the Supreme Court to set up a couple of committees? And at the end of it, are we going to get any answers in two months? It remains to be seen. I, for one, been tracking these investigations for over 30 years. I'm very, very curious about this new experiment. And believe me, I will bring you updates as and when something interesting happens. If you agree with this, if you think people need to know what is going on and what are SEBI's powers and prowess, please do share this video and subscribe to it. Thank you.